Amen. Will you guys go ahead and take a seat? C.S. Lewis once wrote an article that many people have never heard of, but I think might be one of his best articles called God in the Dock. God in the Dock, if you're not British, means we put God on trial. And he says that most of our life is putting God in the witness stand where we're accusing him all the time. I think Good Friday is a picture of God in the dock, except, well, we're not putting God on trial. God is putting God on trial. Now, what I would love for us to do today is I'd love for us to just sit, and the posture of tonight is, um, is weightiness in such a way that I want you to feel the feels, if you will, of the trial. I want you to be a, an observer of the trial. I want you to grasp the full weight of what I would call is the great exchange. You see, Easter is coming in a few days, but like I said earlier, in order to appreciate Easter, you almost have to sit in the depth of Good Friday for just a minute. So grab a Bible uh, and meet me over in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we're going to look at that tonight and on Easter Sunday. We'll look at Luke chapter 24, so we'll tie the whole story together. So we're going to start in verse 13, and I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, so follow along with me. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people and after an examination of him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found no guilt-deserving death. I'll therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with a loud cries, that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and, led, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus and there following him a great multitude of people and women, and they were mourning and lamenting him, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and on the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots and divided his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, Ha, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. 
and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an inscription over him. This is king of the Jew. The great exchange. The trial is a picture of humanity. It's a picture of human history. It's a picture of us. And in some ways, we are reflected in every character in this story. Maybe you and I come into this room much like Pilate. Pilate sat in the seat of judge over Jesus. When the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate, they knew they didn't have the authority to carry out the execution, but Pilate did. So they brought, they brought Jesus to Pilate. And in that moment, Jesus had to come, I'm sorry, in that moment, Pilate had to come face to face with his reality. Would he take his own position of authority and reputation, or would he do what is right? Let me just ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever been put in a position where you had to choose between making the right decision or keeping your position of authority and integrity and influence? It's those moments that put God on trial over and over and over again. You see, Good Friday, Good Friday is the great exchange because Jesus absorbed the weight of you and I choosing ourselves over him over and over again. And here's the great irony of this exchange. Pilate, Pilate only had authority over Jesus because Jesus gave it to him. Think about it. Jesus was being judged by an earthly king that he had created. If you really want to feel the full weight of Good Friday, you need to feel the humility of Jesus. At that very moment, Jesus could have turned the tables on Pilate. He could have become the judge. But deep down, Jesus knew the cost of your redemption would be his humiliation. See, in some ways, we're all like Pilate. When we question God's authority over our own lives, when we come into direct conflict with what the Bible says about morality and what we think culture says and where the conflict arises. When the cost of doing what's right isn't worth the joy of our own reputation. Listen, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that it's really easy on Good Friday to sit in judgment of Pilate. But remember what was at stake for him. Remember that the Jews, they had the power to create a riot that would have cost Pilate his life. Pilate, like you and I, had somebody over authority of him. So Jesus chose to let Pilate be judge, and Pilate chose his own life over Jesus's. Every single time we look at the world around us, and we ignore the injustices of the world, every single time that we count the cost of our own reputation or the cost of our own joy over standing up for what's right, we become like Pilate, and we crucify Jesus. Many of us are like Barabbas. And that's the point. That's the gospel. The great exchange is the murderer was let free for God. Sit in that for a moment. The guilty for the innocent. The easy choice would be to let the innocent go free, and yet we don't. Our life for his, our guilt for his innocent. I don't know about you, but I think that's quite heartbreaking whenever I think about my life for his and 
And I have the humility to actually put myself in the proper position of this story. Look at verse 18 again. But they cried out all together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Put your name in there. Away with Jesus and release to us Dustin. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city in for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they shouted, crucify, crucify him. A third time they said, why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving of death. I'll therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man. Put your name in. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection and for murder, for whom they asked, and he delivered Jesus over to their will. They chose the person who created riots to overthrow the government and kill the people. They chose him over the king of kings. Have you ever thought about why? Let me be a little more personal here. Why do we choose? Why do we choose the things that we do at the end of the day, knowing that ultimately they kill us instead of choosing the king of kings? Here's why. I put it on the screen for you. None of us want to give up our personal autonomy. That's why. You see, the greatest myths in the entire world is that sin is just doing bad things. Sin is so much more than doing bad things. Sin comes from the Greek word hamartia, which literally means to miss the mark or the bullseye. It means that we're off track. You see, what we think is that sin is actions, and yet the way that the Bible describes sin is sin is a condition of the heart. If you think about it, sin, if you capitalize the I in the middle, the way I think about it is it's S-I-N. It's all about me. It's me, me, me. Theologians say that sin in the earliest parts of Scripture was created in the autonomy of moral man, meaning we're, we are moral, we make decisions, and our decision was we wanted to be autonomous. We want to be our own God. We want to have control over our lives. We want to do whatever we want to do, even if it costs Jesus his life. And the greatest affront to all of this is, if Jesus really is who he said that he is, and that means that that's not possible. See, that's where the direct confrontation comes in for all of us, is if Jesus is God, then he must be Lord, and if he's Lord, you're not. See, you'll never get the gospel if you don't start there. At the end of the day, we killed Jesus because we didn't want him to be our Lord. You'll never appreciate Easter if you don't have the posture of sitting in sinner. Maybe today, for the first time, you can say like I do, put it on the screen, I am Barabbas. I'm the murderer who deserved to die instead of the execution being put on Jesus. Think about it. Go back through and read the storylines of the Bible. Read yourself into the narrative, but don't read yourself as the hero. Read yourself for just a moment as the villain. We are Adam. We are Adam who chose and chooses every single day of our lives to live life our own way. We abdicate the responsibilities that God has put on us to follow him. And every single time we do that, we nail Jesus to the cross and we walk free like Barabbas. 
We are King Saul, who led not with humility, but we lead with selfishness and our own desires. We look more at our skills and our abilities than we do to sacrificial living. We are David, who chooses to take what doesn't belong to him and take that because we want to experience pleasure for just a moment. We are Peter. We are Peter, who walks away in the moments when things get hard and yet returns whenever it benefits him. I am Judas who betrays Jesus, the king of kings, every single time that I choose to sell him out for my next thing. You are Judas. You see, it took me a long time to realize that I'm not much better than anybody that I can pinpoint out there. You get that, right? The moment that you see yourselves properly in the narrative is the moment that you step out of your seat of judge and you step into your seat of sinner and you actually have the posture and the humility to understand the gospel, which is what changes you. See, like I said last week, if you ever answer, if you ever ask the question, how do good people go to heaven? Listen to me, you're asking the wrong question. Only good people, only bad people go to heaven. There is no such thing as good people whenever you get the gospel. Only bad people go to heaven, and that is us, and that is good news. Maybe we're the crowd. Did you notice that the same people that just a few days earlier, if you go back and read your Bible, were crowning Jesus as Lord, are now screaming, crucify him. The reason that the crowds did this is because, well, at the end of the day, I know this is hard, but at the end of the day, they cared more about their selfish motivations than their Savior. See, a couple days earlier, they saw Jesus as their means to an end over their Roman occupation, and now today they don't. It took me a long time to get this, and I thank God, my old friend J.D. Greer used to tell me this all the time. He said, Billy, the moment that you realize that you don't do anything out of a pure heart is the moment that you'll become wiser. Let let me flush this out for you. And I I say this with all transparency and humility. Did Allison and I move here to plant this church because we had a pure motive? I could tell you yes. I could give you the Sunday school answer and be like, we just wanted to glorify Jesus. We want to die to ourselves every day for him. And we, we wanted to sacrifice everything. And listen to me, there's a part of that that's true. And then there's another part that wanted to be successful that wants to build a name for myself. There's another part that likes the fact that you like me. Here's the hardest question I ever ever had to answer. We named ourselves City Church because Jeremiah 29, God says, seek the welfare of the city that I sent you. And the question I had to answer is, what if God blessed this city tremendously? What if God brought human flourishing and the gospel to this city in ways that we could never imagine, and the gospel started flourishing, and what if he did it by using North Point and Stone Creek and nobody had ever heard of City Church? Would I be okay with that? Listen, y'all, that's hard, but I think it's the same thing we all need to answer, because we can lie all day long. We can tell the Sunday school answer, but I'm just telling you, we're no better than the crowd that was willing to leverage Jesus to get what they wanted. The question is, Who do you really want to sit on the throne, Jesus or you? Who do you want to sit on the throne of your life, Jesus or you? You see, 
the moment that the crowd realized that Jesus wasn't coming to overthrow Rome and to give them a better life in that moment was the moment that they were willing to throw him out to. Listen, Jesus isn't here to give us a better life. He's here to make a better kingdom. And when we decide whose kingdom we want to live for, it changes the way that we live our life. Do you want to live for your kingdom or God's kingdom? Your kingdom's not going to last. His will. Your kingdom might bring temporary happiness. His will bring eternal joy. Your kingdom might cost you a little bit. His cost you his life. Sociologists tell us that the mob mentality is a real thing. <laughs> Y'all, I've seen it. If you want to create a movement, create a mob, and there'll be a ton of people who will protest whatever you have going on, and they won't even know what you're protesting. Here's the warning. Don't join the crowd because you have FOMO. Because you never know who you're going to crucify. You hear what I'm saying? Just rewind the tape back the last two years. Sometimes we jump into the next social cause without thinking through the implications and the nuances of what it actually means. And eventually, we become the crowd over the wrong person. I've got a joke in here, but I think I'm going to skip it. It's a cat joke. So, it's just not appropriate. Let me give you a better one. In the 1920s, smoking was touted as being good for your health. Even doctors got behind that one. And they totally got that one wrong. Sometimes when we jump on the bandwagon too quickly without having the evidence, we find ourselves on the wrong side of history. Do you not think that some people in that crowd showed up there that day, got caught up in the moment, went home just utterly disappointed in the fact that they got behind that? Listen, I'm not trying to make a direct correlation here, but the principle is true. If you react before thinking through the nuances, you might end up crucifying the wrong guy. You might become the crowd. The crowds flipped the switch on Jesus. They yelled out, crucify him, and they got caught up in their emotions, and they let the murderer go free so that, watch this, so that they could actually become a murderer themselves. See, in doing that, the crowd did the three most ironic things that you and I will end up doing. Here's the first one. Religion will take you from worship to blood if you aren't rooted in the truth. These people... These people just a week earlier were the same people saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And now they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. I've watched this happen so many times when we get caught up in controversies. We create divisions and it takes us from not even know what we're doing to why are we dying on that hill? If you're not rooted in the truth, you will stick to something and you might end up exchanging worship for the living God for your own agenda. Number two, religion will make you become the evil you hate. Notice that Barabbas was the one that was actually guilty of the one thing that they had become. Think about that. 
He was guilty of sedation and insurrection, and that's exactly what they ended up doing. You want to know the truth? Hate. Hate will make you become the monster that you don't want to become. Which will lead you to number three. Religion will ultimately lead you to crucifying Jesus. Do you know why? Because at some point, you will come into direct conflict with Jesus. Because he will be against your cause. And then at some point, you're going to have to decide whose kingdom are you living for. Did you know that Barabbas literally means son of the father? Think about the irony here, because they got so caught up in their mob mentality, they let the false Barabbas go at the expense of the true son of the father. See, when you die on the wrong hills, you become the crowd that exchanges the false for the real. You die on the wrong hill. Guys, all of us are the crowd at different times, and all of our lives will end up doing the wrong thing, which will ultimately become the greatest reversal of truth if we're not rooted in the real truth. Maybe you're Simon of Cyrene. Listen, just like Simon, maybe you just came here because you wanted to hear a story. Did you know, historically, Simon of Cyrene comes from North Africa. He was coming to Jerusalem for the Passover meal. And the Roman authorities grabbed him and forced him to get under the weight of the cross. See, he came for the Passover and he experienced the risen Jesus, the dying Savior. Maybe that's what you need tonight. Again, maybe you came here because that's what you do. You come on a religious holiday, you know the storyline, and you're here, and you just think, yeah, you know, it's just another story. But as you're passing by, what if you would encounter Jesus? What if Good Friday was the day that you encountered all the promises of Jesus coming true? And listen, y'all, the promises of Jesus were awful. Pilate handed Jesus over to the Pharisees who would beat him so badly that Jewish historians would tell us that you couldn't even recognize his face. Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, said all of this happened because he was literally crushed for your iniquities and punished for your transgressions, and the punishment that brought you peace was upon him. That's how bad it was for him. They would take a cat of nine tails and hit him with it so hard that it would literally rip his flesh off. Do you realize that the reason why Simon of Cyrene had to carry the cross for him is because the Roman soldiers didn't even think he would make it to the top of the mountain before he died? Crucifixions were supposed to last days, and Jesus' lasted hours. That's how badly he was punished for you. Simon of Cyrene, he got underneath, underneath the weight of the cross. He literally carried the cross. You remember Jesus? If you're going to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and carry it daily. Jesus literally carried it. He did it so that Simon, like you and I, could feel the weight of that. He needed to know the cost. City Church, on Good Friday, you need to know the cost of your redemption. You need to taste the bitterness of Jesus' death so that you can enjoy the sweetness of his resurrection. Every single blow, the full weight of it, all of it was placed on Jesus so it wouldn't have to be placed on you. 
There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilt and stain. Maybe you need to walk down that road of sorrow like Simon of Cyrene. To get underneath the weight of the cross so that you can experience the flood that will wash away every sin. Charles Simeon, famous 18th and 19th century British pastor, might be one of my favorite because he, he preached at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge for 50 years, and for the first 10 years he was hated so much that his parishioners would actually uh, chain the pews so nobody could sit down. You want to talk about perseverance for not quitting? He would go daily to that place, and he would preach because he found Jesus as sweeter. He said this one day, he says, one day... When I was the object of much contempt and derision in the university, things are bad. I strolled forth, buffeted and afflicted, taking my little Greek testament in my hand. Said I prayed that God would comfort me with some cordial from his word. In opening it, the first text that caught my eyes was this. They found a man, Cyrene. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. He was compelled to bear his cross. Simeon says, Simon, you know, it's the same name as Simeon. It was the very words I needed. What a privilege to have the cross laid on me to bear with Jesus. It was enough. I could leap and I could sing for joy. Lay it on me, Lord, I cried. And henceforth I bound persecution as the wreath of glory round my bow. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I want to feel the weight of that. I want to I be in the midst of my sorrow and in my suffering and look to Jesus and say, what a privilege it is to be grabbed on the road and brought underneath the cross of Christ. Look at it again. Look at verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene because he was just coming in, who was from another country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him with a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, they said, Jesus said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. Can you imagine how bad things had to be for that? And to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Maybe we're like the women. You know, historically speaking, these women weren't Mary and Joanna and the women that found Jesus at the tomb. They were, they were a group of women that, um, that sung a dirge. It's like a lament that anytime somebody would get crucified, they were so sorrowful that they would, they would come alongside the crucifixion and they would wail and scream and lament. What I find fascinating about this is Jesus is in his suffering so badly that he can't even carry the cross. He finds time to stop and to show them grace. You ever think about that? He's not rebuking them. He's actually loving them. Listen to what he says again. And Jesus turning to them, again, get the picture. Jesus is almost dead. He's so 
badly beaten that he can't even carry his own cross. He stops. I can almost imagine him tapping Simon on the shoulder and saying, hey, stop for just a second. He says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. I know what I'm doing. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren in the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Things are so bad that people are going to be like, blessed are you who didn't even have children to bring into this world. By the way, this isn't in my notes, but I often think that, you know, atheists that see that the world is getting worse every day, I often want to ask them, why do you still have children then? Because intrinsically, what we know is that this life is worth living. And there's a joy in this life, and we're built for something more, and there's something beautiful in that. Things have to get really, really bad for you to look to Jesus and say, blessed are those who didn't even have children. Our mountains fall on us, cover us, take us out. See, it's not easy to see this, but here's what Jesus is saying. In his darkest moment, he's saying, don't weep for me. I'm going to be okay. I know what I'm doing. But don't fall into the same trap that many of the Jews are falling into. Don't, don't miss what's right in front of you because there will be a day when I won't be here anymore. See, that's what Jesus is saying. There's going to come a day that if you miss me, you're going to wish you didn't even exist. Here's the warning for all of us. Find Jesus before it's too late. Look to the cross before it's gone. Like he said in the proverb, for if they're willing to do these things when the wood is green, you realize Jesus is the wood that is green. He's the righteous one that's hard to set on fire. What do you think is going to happen to you when I'm gone? It's a warning, but it's also a gracious call. To sit under the weight of Good Friday. Listen. Listen, a lot of us have seen Jesus. A lot of us were on the road, the road to sorrow, as they say. We watched. We played a part in the role. But what Jesus is saying right now is that in this grand narrative, I'm still compassionately calling you to myself. So what if today was the day that you received Jesus? You see, threaded throughout the story of Jesus' passion, if you will, is his compassion. We see Pilate. Jesus graciously allows him to be judge over him because he loves us more than his very life. We see Barabbas where Jesus doesn't condemn the murderer but he sits back silently and allows himself to be murdered so that you wouldn't have to. We see Simon as Jesus allows him to come under the weight of the cross to experience what it looks like to live this way with him. We see the women who are mourning over the loss of Jesus and Jesus reminds them that there's a greater loss that will happen if you don't look to him. And we see the rest of the world where Jesus says these final words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Look at it. Two others who were criminals were led away and put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can I just stop for a second? I have a hard time forgiving people that honestly didn't even do anything to me. And Jesus is sitting there nailed to a cross. And 
he looks at you. Let me just say it this way. Most of us won't come to Jesus because we feel ashamed at some of the stuff we've done. I just don't think you've ever done anything bad enough for Jesus not to love you. I don't think you've ever done anything that bad. What keeps you from coming to him? In that moment, I told you this before, in the most, the deepest, darkest moment, God doesn't draw away from you. He actually brings you in. That's what a father does. When you need love the most, they don't reject, they hug. In your darkest moment, Jesus' final words were, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. What they didn't realize is he wasn't just the king of the Jews, he was the king of the world, and he had a better thing that he was going to accomplish. There was also an inscription over him that said, king of the Jews. Jesus crucified as a criminal, hung on a tree in the most humiliating of ways, naked and exposed so that he could clothe you with righteousness, mocked and beaten so that he could express love to you. He drank the sour wine of what historians would tell you was wine on a, on a, on a sponge that was used to clean human feces. He drank the sour wine so that you could drink the cup of righteousness. Jesus, the King of the Jews, died so that you could become a son or a daughter of God. And he didn't save himself because he wanted to save you. I think before you can appreciate the beauty of the resurrection, I think, just be honest with you, I think we take for granted the cost of the crucifixion. So what if that's how we ended tonight? What if we ended in a posture of silence, of reflection, of lament, so that we can walk through these doors in two days experiencing the joy of the resurrection? Father, I pray that you would help us I know that this was weighty. It's intentionally so because, God, you gave your all for me and for us. God, I pray that you would help us to sit in the weight of the resurrection, of the cross, of the tomb that was filled with the body of Jesus until he rose again. God, we know that Easter is coming. But we also know that it was only necessary because of us. Because we're Pilate, because we're Barabbas, because we're Simon, because we're the women, because we are the crowd, because we are the soldiers. God, I pray that you would help us to receive in humility and grace what cost you your life. And I pray that we would take you seriously. God, I know that there is a war, a battle, like James says, that there is enmity between you and us. For who would sit on the throne of our lives? 
Lord, I pray that as we walk out of this room tonight, there would be no confusion over that. Help us to receive. In Jesus' name.